Hey, good morning. Welcome this morning. How's everybody doing? Good. You guys doing good? Good. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you're here. What a blessing to be able to gather together, huh? This morning. Um, anybody been shopping lately? <laughs> it was pandem. Listen, when I went with Luke, it was pandemonium. And uh, it was cool because God opened the door for us to minister to people out there. Um, and, and you guys know when, when there's suffering, difficulty, um, tragedy, uh, stuff like this happens, it really opens the door. People come face to face with, with the reality that they're going to die. Face to face with our mortality. And we have the answer, don't we? We have the answer in Jesus Christ. We have hope, you guys. And... Um, so many people out there with no understanding of what's going on. And we should be people with understanding. And, and I, and I want to just couch that with, um, there's sometimes we go through things in our lives where we, have a dip, where we have a hard time reconciling God's love with our current circumstances. I don't understand what's going on in my life or what's going on. When those times hit, listen, when those times hit, you need to lean upon the things you do understand, the things you do know. And my precious brothers and sisters, you guys know God's word. Not only do you know God's word, you know the God of the word. His love for you, his care for you, his provision, his promises. Didn't we just sing that song? All of his promises are, are maybe and I don't know. <laughs> They, yes and amen. We know the promises of God. We believe the promises of God. We stand upon them. We've seen God work in our lives by the power of his spirit. Those that don't understand out there that, that they're blind, that are deceived, they don't understand. But listen, we should be understanding in some areas. And what we're seeing going on right now, we shouldn't be saying, what's going on? I don't understand what's going on around us. And I say that because we just looked at a New Year's Eve service, a prophecy update, and we talked about Matthew 24. We've been through Matthew 24 maybe half a dozen times together in God's Word. And Jesus told us the things that we are seeing right now happening around us. He gave us a heads up 2,000 years ago these things would be happening, correct? In fact, He said, listen, this is what He said. He said, when he, in Matthew 24, by the way, the context, the context is Jesus giving his disciples um, a heads up, helping them to understand how the end times would roll out with a bird's eye view, an aerial view of what it would, how it would look like. From his ascension after his resurrection, his ascension back into heaven, and then his second coming to this earth, what would characterize this, what would be the signs of the times as we get closer to his return of him setting up his kingdom. And Jesus said the things that we would see would happen like birth pains. Or birth pains. Gals, you know what birth pains are like, correct? The moms here, right? The closer you get to delivery, they happen with more intensity and frequency, correct? Yeah, amen. And so guess what? The things that we're seeing around us, Jesus said false teaching. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, pestilences, plagues, sicknesses. 
Those things would be happening with more intensity and more frequency. And the first thing he talked about was that during these times, people would lose their discernment. Many would be deceived. So how do you, so think about this with me real quick. I know this is a long intro to the Bible study, by the way. But I was praying on how I could encourage you guys this morning. And to challenge us that when people do ask you what is going on, when, when people are around you struggling, that you would be able to point them back to Jesus, back to the Word of God, back to the wonderful Counselor. And Jesus, so how do we have a lack of discernment? How does that happen in our lives when we're, when we're not discerning, when, we're, when we are getting ripped off or, 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 or taken about by every wind of doctrine? How does that happen? Because we're not rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We're not spending time at the feet of Jesus. You remember why Mary got it and the disciples didn't get it? How come they didn't know that, that she was doing this for his burial? How come they were? Because they were arguing about who would be the greatest. And there she is sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking in his word. That's how we're going to understand what's going on and know what's going on around us is by being at the feet of Jesus. But not just that. Jesus said, don't be troubled when you see these things happening. Well, when do we become troubled? When do we begin to walk in fear? We get torn in different directions. Again, it's when we haven't been at the feet of Jesus with our eyes on him. It says about Moses in Hebrews 11, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's not with physical eyes. That's with spiritual eyes. It's keeping our eyes upon him. Remember, Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. And some of us this morning, maybe you're beginning to sink. You're worried about your 401k or your retirement or about the finances or what's going to happen this week and what about this? What about my business? Listen, can I encourage you this morning? Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He will take care of you. He is our good shepherd. But there's, 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 there's one other thing that Jesus says in that passage. He talks about these last times, these last days would be marked by a lack of love. Jesus put it this way. He said the love of many, the agape of many would grow cold. And, and, and that word agape is, is, is um, it's divine love. The world doesn't have that love. We have that love as Christians. It's the love that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't know anything about that kind of love. We know about it's sacrificial. It's selfless, looking for nothing in return love. It's a giving love. It's a verb love. But he says, as things roll out in the end times, as those birth pangs start happening more and more, the love of many will grow cold. Not only our love, love vertically, our love for the Lord, but our love for one another horizontally as well. And so what do we do if our love is growing cold? What do we need to do? Jesus told us, didn't he? Revelation 2. To remember from where you've fallen to repent and to redo the first works. And what what does it say about our Lord? A bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. You come back to him. That's always where revival happens in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our ministries. It's always coming back to Jesus. That's where revival happens. And maybe you're saying, Pastor, I know. I've been freaking out. I got my, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm panicked. I'm getting pulled in all these different directions. Let me encourage you this morning. Get your eyes back on him. Amen. Hallelujah that we've gathered together. 
This is coming to the feet of Jesus. This is always where revival happens, is coming back to him. It's so simple. We're sheep, he's the shepherd, right? The shepherd is not dependent upon the IQ of the sheep. (laughs) We need him. We need him to lead us and to guide us. And we need to look to him this day. Amen? Amen. But he also talks about in that passage that the gospel will be preached and you guys will be witnesses, he says in that passage. There are people that need answers that need to hear about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life that's found only in him and him alone. Are you with me? Amen. People need to hear the good news. Not a whole lot of good news out there. We have it. We have the good news. Amen? Amen. That's Bible study number one. <laughs> Bible study number two. Here we go. Let's do it. Where are we at? First Corinthians chapter nine. Awesome. And I pray that it's not just like a personal pep talk this morning, that we would take these things to heart. I've been praying for you guys, praying about, you know, our church has never, listen, our church has never walked in fear. Amen. Whether whether it was in El Salvador with MS-13 gangs, our kids ministering to them, or in the jungles of Honduras, or in Mexico, or in the neighborhoods of Houston, the tough neighborhoods of Houston, we have never walked in fear in this church. And listen, throughout history, in dark times, in suffering and difficulty, it's always the Christians that have risen to the occasion. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. Don't be hiding it under the bushel or the whatever. What's a bushel? Is that a... a Fuck it, thank you. Yeah. Don't be, don't be hiding. You know what I'm saying? Unless you're going to go hide in your prayer closet. We need to let our light shine before men. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for your encouragement to us, your challenge to us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being here with us, for how you love us and cherish us. And this morning we look to you to be nourishing us, touching and transforming our lives. God, by the power of your spirit, we so desperately need to hear from you with all of the voices out there, all the stuff coming at us, that as we just settle our hearts now before you, that you would cause us to lie down in green pastures beside the still waters. You'd still our hearts. You'd refresh us. You'd revive us that we would know you more and that we would walk in your ways, bringing you glory. So lead us this morning. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So uh, where did we leave off? Chapter 9. So uh, just to kind of to get the, catch the context this morning, the Apostle Paul, remember, is writing to a church that he had planted and pastored. He had been there for almost two years And he had left. Problems have arisen in the church. And they've also have questions for the Apostle Paul. And some of those questions he's answered. And now we're getting into this area of Christian liberty. And we talked about that last week. About the liberty that we have as Christians. And and how to navigate those things that that are kind of, I, I think gray area is kind of a bad word. Those areas where that are undefined in God's word. 
where we have the freedom or liberty to be led by the Holy Spirit in different areas and different walks of our lives. You guys remember that last week? And so Paul now will give us a personal example, or a for instance, in his own life where he laid aside his right, his freedom, his liberty in order for, in order for the gospel to not be hindered uh, being, being presented to the people he was ministering to. Are you with me on that? He didn't want anything to hinder the gospel being preached, being proclaimed. And so he establishes, in chapter 9, he establishes um, reasons why he had the right to do something. And then he gives reasons why he chose not to exercise his right. And this area we're talking about this morning is his right to be supported in ministry by the gospel, by those that he ministers to. And so Paul's going to ask, I think, I hope we counted right, 17 questions. Is that, is that a saying? They, they played 20 questions with me? Paul played, Paul's going to play 17 questions with us this morning. And they're, so check this out, they're rhetorical questions. It's a rabbinical style. We see God asks questions through the scriptures, doesn't he? Didn't Jesus ask questions? Have you never read? He's asking the Pharisees. Have they ever read? Of course, they memorized all those things he asked them. Jesus wasn't looking for information. He wanted them to think it through. Are you still with me? Go all the way back to Genesis. When God, let me make it a little easier here. When God asked Adam, where are you? Was God, did God not know where he was? Adam, where are you? Was God saying, I lost him. He's got camouflage. He must have camo on. Or He wanted Adam to think that through where he was. So Paul wants the Corinthians to think this through. And some in the church were questioning his apostolic authority. Some were questioning his credentials. Some people, check this out, some people were talking trash about him. And and I used to be blown away by that until I started serving the Lord for the last 20 plus years. That's part of ministry. They did it to our Lord. They did it to Paul. And Paul's heart, his response is so precious, isn't it? Though the less I'm loved, the more I'm going to love you. Wow. Man, you've gone viral on me. You've tore my name. You've, you've damaged my reputation. But I'm just going to keep loving you. That is awesome. That's a guy that's tapped into the Lord. That's a guy that is abiding in Jesus. And so he begins by reiterating his qualifications as an apostle. So let's check this out together. Shall we? We shall. Check it out. Chapter 9, verse 1. First question, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. Why? For is a reason word. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so what are the answers to those questions in uh, verse 1? Am I not an apostle? Paul was an apostle, wasn't he? He was sent out. That's what apostle means, by the way. Apostle means sent out one. Paul was sent out by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus, correct? And then he says, am I not free? Was Paul free? 
He had been set free, right? Set free by Jesus, just like us in this room. We've been set free. We have freedom to exercise our liberties also. And then he asks another question. He says, have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Did Paul see the Lord? He sure did. I think at least three times in the book of Acts, after Jesus had risen from the dead, Paul may have even seen Jesus while he was a rabbi in Jerusalem. It's possible. So no doubt he saw him. That was a prerequisite to be uh, an apostle, capital A. But then he says, he asks that question, look at the end of verse 1. Are you not my work in the Lord? The Corinthians were the fruit, weren't they, of Paul's ministry there? Spending time ministering, sharing the gospel, sharing the word of God to them. His labor, he labored there, ministering to them. And then he says in verse 2, listen, if I'm not considered an apostle to other churches or other people, listen, it is beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm an apostle to you. Why? Because you are the seal of my apostleship. In other words, Paul's saying you guys are exhibit A. You guys are exhibit A of my apostleship, of my being sent. It demonstrates their very lives were the legit proof that Paul was an apostle. Him coming to them. In other words, he's saying, you're the living proof of God's call and anointing on my life. And I just want to point that out for just a minute because Paul sacrificed for them, didn't he? He came, traveled, stayed there to minister to them, to pour into them. By the way, it is an honor and a privilege to sacrifice and to serve for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, a, it is a privilege and an honor. And listen, it's in ministry, it's not all about what you can get. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Sacrifice is part of spiritual leadership. I would say sacrifice is part of following Jesus, correct? Isn't it part of following the Lord? If you, if you don't want to sacrifice for people, for the Lord ultimately, then don't serve him because it goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand. We're called to lay down our lives for the brethren, aren't we? 1 John 3.16, by this we know love. How do we know love? That he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, John tells us. And so it involves sacrifice, correct? As we follow the Lord and as we serve him, it's challenging. People won't always embrace you or give you a high five or a hug. By the way, I'm a hugger if you haven't found that out already. And I know it's the times we're living in. If you don't want to give me a hug, you can give me the Heisman. It's okay. I will not be offended. <laughs> But listen, there's times when you're serving the Lord, you're pouring out, right? Like Mary, like remember when Mary poured out her best for Jesus? And, and who was it who criticized her? It was the apostles, right? Not the B-apostles. It was, it was the varsity team. They got on her case. And Jesus defended her. And so sometimes as we're serving the Lord, you know, uh, it gets hard. It gets difficult. Can I encourage you not to bail out? To hang in there? Because the Lord will give you what you need, the strength you need as you sacrifice and serve for him. They did that to Paul. They denied him. They doubted him. They despised him. They dissed him. And I find this so interesting. Just a side note. They did all of that to him. And yet he continues to own them as his very own. 
You're the seal of my apostleship. Isn't that great? He didn't say, Corinthian who? They're a bunch of bozos. Those bozos, I don't know anything about them. And they were a mess, weren't they, the Corinthian church? And yet Paul owns them as his own. They're the seal of my apostleship. I, I would say, you know what? Paul continued to love and minister to them, and that sounds a lot like Jesus. Because we can be quick to dismiss people, can't we? Can't we be quick to dismiss people rather than extend grace to them? Love covers a multitude of sins. So well, let's keep rolling. Look what he says. He gives his defense here. Here's some courtroom imagery. Verse 3. My defense, my apologia, my apologetic to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? And so please notice there's a pronoun change Paul goes from talking about himself to who? To we, pronoun change, we, and who's he talking about? Who's the we? Barnabas. You guys remember Barnabas? Remember Barney? You guys remember him? Awesome brother, son of encouragement, son of consolation. We need those in the church, don't we? Those that come alongside of us, console, comfort, exhort. And so he includes himself, by the way, Acts chapter 14, if you're taking notes, Barnabas was considered an apostle also. And so first question he asks in verse 4, do, not, do we not have the right to eat and drink? As apostles, they should have received hospitality. They should have received support from those they were ministering to. That's the point that Paul's going to make here. It is their right. That word right means privilege. It means it's within their authority and jurisdiction for their needs to be met. And so Paul's saying here, we have every right to benefit materially from you because of our service to you, to be cared for, to be supported, to be subsidized, if you will. And so we led you to the Lord. We faithfully ministered to you. We poured into you. We instructed you in the word of God. We have every right to have our needs met to be supplied by the local church. And so he goes on to say, ask a question, don't we have the right to take along a believing wife to have, to have her supported too? As apostles, they should be permitted to continually travel, to go about, to minister with their wives and their family just like the other apostles. Barnabas and, and Paul should have had that right to be taken care of. We know Paul was probably single at this time. But he says they, they should have had that right also, just like the who? The, the other apostles and the brothers of, of the Lord, of Jesus. Remember, Jesus had half-brothers, correct? Same mom, different dad. You guys been with me on that? And then Cephas. Who was Cephas? Peter. Peter. Awesome. Peter was married. The first pope was married. <laughs> Sorry. You guys remember the story? We know Peter was married, don't we? Yes. What does that story tell us? Jesus loves mother-in-laws, right? 
Get, you guys remember that story? You guys have mother-in-laws? Was that a bad, that touchy issue this morning? She would not go there. You guys remember, Jesus goes to Peter's house, heals Peter's mother-in-law. But what's the point here? Listen, the, the disciples, the apostles had families as they traveled, as they ministered, as they preached, as they made disciples. And so Paul's saying here, the church took it upon themselves, or the, the idea is the church took it upon themselves to as a responsibility to subsidize them and their families. And Paul is saying, we too have a right to be cared for, to be subsidized, to have your support as we are ministering to you. But the point that Paul's going to make, this is so important, you guys, don't miss this. The point that Paul is making, he's going to say, listen, we relinquished that right. We did not choose to exercise that right with the Corinthians, with you guys. Why? Well, we're going to find out in a minute why. We're going to find out in a few verses. But that's the point that Paul's making. We chose to lay aside this right. Although we deserve this right, it should be coming to us. We're saying, no, we won't do it. And he goes on. Look what it says. Check it out with me. Verse 6. He says, are we the only guys, Barnabas and I, who have to keep working to support ourselves in the ministry? Did, did Paul uh, support himself what did he do? You guys remember what he did? He made tents, right? In fact, it tells us in Acts 18, that was his job, right? Priscilla and Aquila cruised into town, and they started making tents together to support the ministry. And so in different places, Paul certainly did tent making. Some of you know I was tri-vocational. When we first started, I... Uh, so I couldn't find a job anywhere. It was so crazy. I left professional baseball. People promised jobs. Anybody ever had a job promised to them? Yeah. Didn't really pan out too good. I ended up, so check this out, I ended up doing tile floors and washing windows downtown on big buildings. I am not, I don't like heights. Waves, I'm okay. <laughs> buildings, no way, man. So I'm up there washing windows. <laughs> And then at nighttime, I would teach batting lessons to kids. And in between lessons, I would prepare the Bible studies for Wednesdays and Sundays. And so tri-vocational. Paul was bivocational, making tents, preaching. Those opportunities that he had to teach people during the siesta time when everybody would be resting. But Paul is saying here, listen, his point, we have a right to receive support from those that we are ministering to, but we relinquished that right. And so Paul asks some more questions. Verse 7, look what he says, gang. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows, and speaking of ministry here, he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. So Paul asks a number of questions here. And really, they're no-brainers as we look at this. 
where there's a right to receive or, or what you give your life to should be something that you naturally benefit from is the idea. But he begins talking about a soldier, right? Which soldier who goes to war at his own expense? We have some soldiers here, don't we? I'm, I'm looking at two over to my right here. When you guys signed up, did you guys have to pay for your own gear? Your helmets, your, the cool camo and all that stuff? Tank? You didn't have to buy anything, did you? It was provided for you, right? We have a bunch of people in the military. We've got Navy and Marines, and thank you for your service. Hallelujah. But listen, that, they, didn't have to bring their, they didn't have to buy their own equipment, supply their own stuff. The idea is they, they don't. It's provided. That person's taken care of. He's provided for. He's, he's being taken care of to take care of what he's been called to do. And then he uses the next illustration. Look what it says, verse 7. The idea is that person labored, tending the vine, caring for the vine, and he most certainly partakes of the fruit of that vine. And then the last illustration is what? A shepherd, right? Or a farmer, or a rancher. The idea is that shepherd labored, cared for the flock, and he has a right to have some of the milk from that flock that he cares for. And isn't that great examples in ministry too, by the way? We are in a battle. We are soldiers, right? We're in the Lord's army. We're also involved in, in tending the Lord's garden, his vine. And also we're involved in the ministry to others of, of shepherding and caring for one another as well. But Paul says, is this true only in the natural, verse 8? Isn't this true in the spiritual realm also? Isn't this what the Word of God says as well? Um, what's the point? The point is, Paul is establishing the responsibility of the congregation to care for and to subsidize those involved in ministry. And I need to stop for just a minute because this has the potential to sound very self-serving, doesn't it? Like, you could take this passage and, um, and... But the deal is, since we have a staff that is subsidized um, by the giving of the church. Listen, this is not out of self-interest. This is just what the Bible says, you guys. This is what the Scripture says, doesn't it? This is not, hey, you know, the tithes are down, so we better open up to this passage and really give it to them. And then send the chicken buckets around a few times. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is just where we are in Scripture. We, this is what we needed to hear this morning. Wednesday night, book of Job. For those of you who come, the Lord knows exactly what we need to hear Wednesday night as well. When you open your Bible tomorrow morning and spend time with Jesus, guess what? He wants to meet you right there. Right as you open your Bible. So isn't that glorious that he would speak to us? And so Paul now looks to the Old Testament. It is written, verse 9, in God's word, Specifically the Mosaic Law, Deuteronomy 25.4, if you're taking notes. It's a super obscure verse. Because it's like, what? It's talking about interpersonal relationships. And he's talking about putting a muzzle on an ox. But Paul will use this also, again, when he writes to Timothy about support for those ministers. Uh, labor is worthy of his wages or his hire. So what's the deal? In ancient Israel, the farmers would have an ox on that on the threshing floor, kind of like this, kind of like the stage here. 
And that ox would, they'd throw all the wheat down on the threshing floor, and you can check it out, you can Google it or whatever and check it out, but they would have the ox walk in circles to smash, to remove the, the chaff or the, the junk from the good stuff. Are you still with me? Yep. Hopefully. Yes. And, the, and the, the law says, don't put a muzzle on that ox. Why? That's cruel. He's cruising around and he's looking at food all day long. You're going to let him just do that? No, he needs to be able to partake, to eat, to be nourished, to be taken care of as he's working hard. But look at the question Paul asks. Was this for the ox only? God didn't say this to oxen. Can they read? <laughs> it's a spiritual principle that God is teaching here, that he's ministering. And verse 10, Paul says, isn't God clearly communicating this for us, for our benefit? It is clearly given in God's word. Why? Paul uses the analogy of this farmer, right? That he who plows, he who's working hard plowing that field, does it with expectation or hope of a harvest. The one who threshes, the one who removes the, the, the chaff from the wheat and, and gets the good stuff, gets the meat to be able to provide, to be able to nourish. Again, that's a great illustration of ministry, by the way. Sometimes we're plowing. Sometimes we're threshing. We want to give people the best of, of, of God's word to them, removing the chaff from the good stuff, the wheat, to nourish, to sustain. But the person threshes in hope, in hope of an awesome harvest, in hope of a, of a, of a blessed harvest. And again, Paul's using the analogy or illustration in reference, check this out, to those who give their life to minister to others for Jesus. He who labors also ought to enjoy the fruit of his labor. If not, it would be cruel. It would leave you without hope, is the idea. And so, look at verse 11. Verse 11, check it out. Paul gets personal. Look at verse 11 with me. 11 and 12. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing? Or is it a big deal? If we reap your material things, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? And this is so important. Here's the answer to our question earlier. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things. Why? Lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. This is so good. Look at verse 11. Paul says we've planted the seeds of spiritual things, of eternal things. How important are those things? That's the most important thing in life, isn't it? The Word of God, the seed of God's Word being sown. The, 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 the Word of God has the DNA to change the life. It's not the seed sower. It's the seed of God's Word. And he, and he says here, we've sown these things into your life. Is it a big deal to be partakers of your physical stuff? Paul, in fact, Paul works from the most important now to the least important. If you've benefited spiritually, if you've grown in the Lord because of our spiritual investment in your life, then what is the big deal if we are blessed by your material things? In other words, it's what's appropriate. 
as, as he uses these examples. Hey, listen, I, I've shared the truth with you. Your life has been enriched. It, is that a big deal for you to provide for me, Paul's saying, and make it possible for me to be doing what I'm doing? And then he says, it's crazy in verse 12. He says, other ministers are reaping of your material things. They are enjoying this right, this privilege, this authority is being exercised by others. You're supporting these other ministries. Of all those who have sown into your life, shouldn't we be the ones enjoying that also? Of course. And I love what he says. This is so good. On the contrary, nevertheless, we have not used this Right. We did not exercise this right. We did not exercise this privilege. Enjoy this privilege. Others did, but we did not. Paul says, why? Well, he says, number one, we endure all things. This word is so cool in the Greek. It means to cover. It means to bear up under. The idea is we took refuge under God's covering. Or... We're trusting God to have our back, so to speak. Are you trusting God to have your back? You know, he never drops the ball on anyone who trusts in him. That's what Paul's saying here. We're trusting the Lord. We chose not to exercise our right. This is what should have been coming to us. We said, no, we're trusting God to care for us. Because we did not want, what does he say? Lest the gospel be hindered. That's heavy. Paul and Barnabas did not want the gospel message to be literally interrupted, obstructed, or interfered with. That's, that tells me something. Paul knew that if he and Barnabas received compensation from the Corinthians, what would have happened? It would have prevented them from receiving spiritual things. It wasn't what was best. Again, Paul had a right to receive materially, but laid aside his right in order to not trip up the Corinthians from receiving spiritually. Guys, there's an overarching theme here. We need to take note of this. And that is laying aside our rights lest we trip up a brother or a sister. Paul says, I have every right to to receive compensation, but I'm not going to take it because that's not what's best before God in this situation. This is what would be more effective for the gospel. Paid or not paid, it didn't matter to Paul. What matters to Paul was the work of the gospel, you guys. Is that what matters to us? That people would get saved. Would we be willing to lay down our liberty, our right, in order for people to receive the good news of Jesus Christ? Paul didn't demand his rights. You need to pay up, man. You need to take care of me. Paul's like, God will take care of me. This is not the best thing to do in this situation. It will, it will obstruct the gospel from being received. I have to lay aside my right. And as I do, I know God's going to take care of me. He's going to bless me. Paul goes on. Let's finish up the chapter or the, the text we're looking at this morning. He says, do you not know? He expects them to know and us to know. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar, even so the Lord has commanded 
that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So Paul brings this back up again, doesn't he? Paul expected them to know this simple example from the Old Testament. The Old Testament priesthood. Remember what, how, how God ordained the people of God came and they would bring their offerings, their sacrifices, and some of those would go to the priesthood and to the Levites. You guys remember that in the Old Testament? And then the times when they didn't, what would happen? The priests and Levites had to go out in the field, right? And, and do all that. And then God's work was neglected. And so Paul says, this is not only an Old Testament uh, principle. This is something Jesus also authorized. Look at the next verse, verse 14. The Lord has commanded. He is authorized. Do you remember when Jesus did that, by the way? Remember when he sent out the disciples? Remember he empowered them to go and to preach the, the, the kingdom? And he said what? Travel light? Trust the Father? Right? You guys remember that? Did God take care of them? Sure did. Don't be raising support. A worker is worthy of his wages. God will take care of you. And so Jesus authorized the men and women who proclaimed the good news to continually, literally continually make their living from the good news. In other words, God's ministers should be subsidized by the church at the command of Jesus Christ himself. So Paul ramps it up, doesn't he, for the Corinthians here? Those who are faithfully dedicating themselves to the service of God should expect the blessing of, the blessing of material things from those who are being blessed by their ministry. Paul's saying it's perfectly appropriate. It's a right that we have. And I know it's interesting. We, again, we read this and it's like, wow, okay. There's two extremes, isn't there, with this? You've got, you guys ever watch TV, like TV preachers? They're typically begging for money. Maybe you've been to a church like that, and it, that's, all, that's all that they ever talk about. I don't need to raise hands, but you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's like, listen, God's not going broke. He's not filing bankruptcy. Maybe you've been coming here for a while. I've been coming here for a while. I couldn't wait for the pastor to start talking about money. What's he going to say? That's between you and Jesus. There's a box in the back. You're led by the Lord to give. Hallelujah. If not, hallelujah. It's between you and Jesus, man. We don't twist arms. We don't have thermometers on the walls. Or your name on a seat if you're like really doing good. But there's certainly a, a lot of people out there that fleece God's people. That's one extreme. You, you know what I'm talking about? They have like miracle hankies. If you send in your, if you send in this amount of money, you can have the, I've been praying over this miracle hanky. And you put it under your pillow. <laughs> I don't know. Guess what I'm talking about? I remember before I got saved, that's baloney. Like, that's nonsense. What's this guy doing? He's a huckster. Is that even a word still? People use that word. He's a scam artist. Jesus said, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. 
It, it says ravenous wolves. Every time that word is used in the New Testament, besides when Jesus used it there, about the, the, those people that rip off the flock, it's used for extortion. Isn't that interesting? And how many people are turned off from church because of that? How, uh, it's sad. It's pathetic. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, or the other extreme, you guys. And that's failing to recognize that all of our resources belong to God. Mm. Nothing I have is mine. It's all His. It's a stewardship. Listen, your time, your talents, your treasures, guess who that belongs to? That belongs to the Lord. And isn't it awesome to be free from being possessed by your possessions? It's like, wow. There's a joy in giving. I can't wait to give to the Lord. Whatever it is, time, my talents, my treasures, Lord, it's all yours. And Paul will talk about that later. God loves a cheerful giver. So let me go back just for a minute. If you do... Say, you know what, I want to give to this ministry, and you're bummed, and you're, man, i got to give, and i got alligator arms, I can barely get into my... And if you drop it in there, go find the guys, the deacons, the elders, and you know what, go take your money back, because God doesn't want it. How about that? Because God wants a cheerful giver, hilarious. And you know what happened? I've seen it in my own life. As you're a giver, whatever it is, if you're a giver of grace, of love, of what you have, mercy, you know what? The Lord will keep pouring into you. You become a reservoir rather than a channel. He may turn off that tap on you. Because God uses this area in our lives to grow us up as children, as his children. That we would learn not to have a tight grip on the things of this world. That we wouldn't be possessed by our possessions, but have a loose grip. Can you imagine if the church, capital C, all over the place, began to really store up their treasures in heaven, what would happen? Wow. The gospel being preached. His kingdom being furthered. Oh, we got to finish. Because look at Paul hits the brakes. He's like, before you get offended, but, verse 15... But I have used none of these things. Wow. All that should be coming my way as a right to be subsidized, to be cared for, to be supported in ministry. What does he say? I've used none of these things. I don't want any of it. Nor, look at this, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me, what does he say, to die than, to, than that anyone should make my boasting void. Paul's like, I didn't take any compensation. I'm not even writing this letter. Because sometimes you get letters from people, don't you? Kind of like, man. I'm out here serving Jesus with no pay. And, you know, it would sure be great to have a meal. <laughs> I've been eating dirt. Paul's like, you know what? I'm not writing so you can start sending me support, compensation right now either. 
Paul certainly made the case that as a minister, he had every right to receive from those he ministered to and served, but he chose to lay aside that right. And he said, for it would be better for me to stop breathing and kick the bucket. Do they still say kick the bucket? Is that still a saying? It'd be better if I dropped dead than what? Than to take compensation from you because then my glory, my boasting would be empty of no value. What boasting? Yeah, he's, gonna, he's boasting in the Lord for sure because he boasted about the Lord taking care of him. There's something else. Let's check it out. Something else. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, I have no choice, Paul's saying. What is my reward then? Here it is. That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. What's Paul saying here? Hey, this is not about money. Ministry is not a job. God has given me the opportunity, the privilege to share the gospel. I'm not boasting because I preach the gospel. I'm called to. I'm compelled to. It's absolutely necessary. It's burning in my heart. It speaks of a great urgency. Yes, and woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. That's heavy, isn't it? That tells me Paul loved the gospel. It was, there was nothing more precious than the gospel in this man's life. How precious is the gospel to you this morning? Aren't you glad someone was faithful to share with you this morning? Like, I'm eternally grateful we should be. Even, even weirdos. I had some weirdos share with me. And I, I remember them and love them for it. Like turn or burn, kind of like in your face. I'm like, dude, get away from me with that. But then there were love, people loving sharing too. And there were people that lived it out also. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? And you're seeing their witness, and you're seeing the Holy Spirit working. And at the time, you don't know it's the Holy Spirit working through their lives, convicting us of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, showing us our need for Jesus. But aren't you grateful for those that lived and shared the gospel in your life? Paul's like, it's, it's the most important message there is. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel and proclaim it. What is my reward? What's my compensation? When I proclaim the good news, I set forth the good news of Jesus Christ freely, without charge. I love this. Paul did not want to use his right, use his privilege in ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul was not in it for the money. What's his boast? My boast is that I preach for nothing. And guess what happens when I do? God takes care of me. Endure all things. So let me ask you a question as we close. Well, Pastor, I get that. I'm not in ministry. 
Listen, what right would you lay down? Would you lay aside? What right or liberty are you willing to sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ and for the gospel this morning? I was praying about this this week. What could I share from my own life that I've done? Some of you know uh, Luke and Sloan, my twins. They were born three months early. And uh, a lot of people were saying, listen, you uh, should sue. You have, a, you have a legitimate right. Medical malpractice suit. And you, you know what? I shared earlier, you know, you're spending time with Jesus and he meets you right, right where you're at, doesn't he? When you're, in, when you're in the word. And I'm reading, I'm reading Romans 12. And I'm like, you know, before I got in there, I'm like, Lord, I, I don't want to sue. I want to take my Louisville Slugger 33-32 right to the doctor's knees. I'm just, I'm just sharing my heart with you guys. And I'm reading Romans 12, and it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. For vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm like, all right, Lord. This is a right. I understand now that if I sue these people, if I exercise this right, it'll keep them from receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. And you know what happened? God's had my back ever since. We endure all things. He has you covered when you trust him. It doesn't matter what you lay down. Listen, we can trust God who says, I'll take care of you. I got you covered. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He promises it, doesn't he? Take care of you and I. Paul didn't demand his right. He said, you know what? There's a blessing coming my way. God will take care of me in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you.